We turn in God's word this afternoon to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him. And keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which he had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you, because ye know not the truth, 
but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, and ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of his holy scriptures unto our hearts. The text that we consider this afternoon is verses 15 through 17 of 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts, lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, for us to understand why the Apostle John gave the warning that he did in this text, we do well to understand something of the context in which he wrote. Wrote this epistle in the first century, and at this time in the first century, the pagan World was characterized by ungodliness, immorality, greed, bribery, disregard, even for human life, was found throughout the pagan world at the time of the writing of this epistle. It's in this context, then, that the inspired writer John wrote what is called a general epistle, an epistle that goes out for all of the church to hear. And in that epistle, then, he warned the members of the church against loving the world. Not much has changed in the pagan world since the first century. In fact, if anything... This world has only gotten more and more immoral. 
We see even in the past few decades with the advent of the internet and the use of the internet how sin is developing rapidly. The members of the church are surrounded by immorality, greed, bribery, and even a disregard for human life. And thus it is that this text comes to us with a serious call. The call for you and for me this afternoon is love not the world. For those who have been bought with the blood of the Lamb, for those who are marked as Christians, for those who confess their faith in Jesus Christ, the calling is for us to be unspotted from the world. This, young men, will be the great battle that you will fight in your lifetime. I do not know what other battles you will be engaged in. Likely there will be other battles. For God has set you apart to be warriors, Christian warriors. It could be that in your lifetime, the end times come. And there is the great tribulation. But of this I am confident, that every one of you, and everyone who gathers with you as a child of God, will have to fight this battle against worldliness. We consider this text this afternoon under the theme, Love Not the World. First, we'll consider the meaning of the command. Second, what is the urgency of this commandment? And then third, the promise. The command, the urgency, the promise. Love not the world, John says, neither the things that are in the world. Must do well, we do well to understand what does he mean here when he refers to the world? See, this is more difficult than one might initially think because in a certain sense we depend upon the world, do we not? We need the world. We need food from the world. We need things physical. We need a home, a physical place for us to live. We need raiment, clothing for the body. God has created us as creatures who were shaped out of the cosmos, out of the earth. And so for as long as we live upon this earth, there is a relationship, even a very close relationship with this world. God, as he commands us here in the scriptures to love not the world, is not telling us that we cannot appreciate the good gifts that God gives unto us in this creation. God is not in this text calling us to live a physically separate life from the world. God is not calling us that we must repudiate inventions or technologies of the world as if the inventions or technologies themselves are inherently sinful. 
love not the world. What is meant then by world? For us to understand what is meant here by world, we do well to see how John, under the, the inspiration of the Spirit, uses this word world. He uses it regularly in this book. If you go to the fourth chapter, 1 John 4, verse 3. 1 John 4, verse 3. There we read, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And so that we see in the first place that there is found in the world this spirit of Antichrist. Then if you go back a couple of verses prior in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, we read, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So not only is there found in the world this spirit of Antichrist, but in addition, there goes out into the world many false prophets who deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that salvation is found in him only. And then if we go back one chapter to 1 John 3, verse 13, we read this. 1 John 3, verse 13, Marvel not, my brethren, if... The world hate you. The world hates believers. And so then when we return to the words of our text, 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17, we see that the world does not refer merely to the physical creation But when God warns us against loving the world, God is warning us against loving that aspect of the world which is exalted against God. The people of this world or using the inventions of this world in a way that is opposed unto God. It's a reference here to even the spirit of Antichrist. It is... That attitude that is found in the world which opposes God, which hates the kingdom of God, and which would silence the true prophets who bring forth the word of God. Recall when the devil tempted Jesus Christ, the devil took Jesus Christ up into a high mountain, and he showed unto Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, and told Jesus Christ that if Jesus would simply bow down to him, that then the devil would give unto Jesus all of these earthly, worldly kingdoms. And the kingdoms that he revealed unto him was that kingdom of the world that's opposed to God. There's a king who rules over this world. All that is in this world, according to verse 16, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Who is this king that rules over the world? It's the devil. John 14, verse 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, 
for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me, Jesus says. Ultimately, God is the one who rules over all things, but God has given unto the devil the right to rule over this anti-Christian world. Love it not. But does the world even appeal to us? Is there even the temptation to love the world? There is. And the 16th verse tells us, teaches us about how tempting the world is. What's found in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All of these are things that appeal unto us and that the world offers unto us. The lust of the flesh Here the text speaks of the cravings or the desires that are found within our flesh. There is that craving that man has for food. There is a craving that some have for alcohol. There is that lust that the young man has for intimacy, physical intimacy. The world understands that man has those cravings and those desires in them. And so the world offers it unto man. The world offers it in an unbridled way. You want food? Here the world says, serve the God of the belly and eat more than what the body needs. You desire alcohol? Here the world says, have it, enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with enjoying alcohol more than what is more than in moderation. You want the lusts of the flesh. You want the desire for physical intimacy. Here the world says, have it. There's no shame in this. The world gives it. And it's enticing. Then the text goes on. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And here you see how sneaky the devil is. Perhaps one says, well... I better not act on the lusts of the flesh. I know better than physically to commit adultery. I know better than physically to get drunk, to be a glutton. Then the world, the devil through the world says, okay, here's an alternative. Just use your eyes. The lust of the eyes. You're not physically reaching out and taking hold of something or someone, but allow your eyes to linger on that which God's Word has forbidden you from enjoying. How sneaky is the devil? The lusts of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. And then the text speaks of the Pride of life. And here the text speaks of the very nature of man, which is lifted up in proud rebellion against God. Man by nature thinks very highly of himself. He considers himself to be important, even indispensable unto others. 
and perhaps especially that is a temptation for men, men whom God has called to work, to produce, to be the ones who provide for the home and for the family, and so that man labors and toils, and then because that man labors and has an income, then that man is tempted to think think highly of himself, to think that he is more important than the neighbor because he has labored this hard to get this income, and he has achieved this status of living And he has more than what God has given unto the neighbor. And so then the pride of life starts to settle into the heart of that man. And the world says, you want that? You want to be proud? Here you go. Here's social media where you can brag about all the things that you have accomplished and you have done. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Understanding how enticing the world is, it's we who need to hear the command, love not the world. Love it not. We repeat, love not the world does not mean that we must physically separate from the world. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Loving not the world does not mean that we must adopt an Amish mentality toward the physical advancements of this earth. Doing so will never work. Why will it not work? Simply to physically separate oneself from the world or from the things of the world. Here's why it won't work. Because the world is found right inside of our own hearts. That's why keeping this text starts with where your heart is at. You see, sometimes when we think of the world, we imagine the world as being some abstract power, something that's way out there, something that's a long ways away. Maybe the world is limited to the big cities of this earth. And so when I'm driving down the interstate and there's the billboards with the scantily clad women on the billboards, then, okay, now I'm being confronted with the world. So now I have to be careful, lest I love the world as I drive through the big cities of the world. You know where the world is found? It's in Hall, Iowa. You know where the world is found? It's in your home. It's in your car. It's on your phone. And on your television. You know where the world is found? Right in our own hearts. As we struggle against that anti-Christian 
spirit that is found within each and every one of us. That's why the Amish mentality will never work to just separate oneself physically from the world because it's right inside of us. So let us attempt here to be more practical then in what does it mean to love not the world. This is something that you're going to grow in all the days of your lives. You will fall into sin. You'll have to pray for grace. That God would forgive you for falling into the sin of loving the world, and you'll learn more and more. But a few things we can list out practically. To love not the world means that you must be biblically informed about what the world is. You must be biblically informed about what the world is. To love not the world means that you must be a student of the Holy Scriptures. Imagine that you are going to sit a test. And for this test, there is an object set in front of you on the desk. And you are commanded by the instructor to study this object. You had no idea what that object was. You had to study it. You had to evaluate it. And then you had in that test to give a description of that object. And what was the purpose of that object? But then the instructor tells you that right next to that object will be a person who is the engineer who developed that object. And you may consult with the engineer as you evaluate that object. Well, you would be considered a fool if you did not reach out to that engineer to ask the engineer for his input as to what is the meaning and the use of that object in front of you. You men are called by God to work, to labor. You are to exercise dominion over this creation. You are to discover truths that are found in this creation, but you have access unto the engineer, the perfect designer, the one who created this earth. And so as you study the world and seek to find your place in the world, Do not be foolish by disregarding the engineer, the grand designer who shaped and who created this world. Seek him in his word and he will give unto you wisdom to understand this world. Be biblically informed about the world. Number two, practically, what does it mean to love not the world? It means this. Don't blame God for the temptations that you find in this world. Don't blame God. Do not get angry at God for the temptations that are found in this world. That's the 16th verse. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And how easy that is when the Christian is confronted with temptation after temptation, when worldliness seems to attack us from every single angle and we become weary of fighting that battle against the world, 
one can be inclined to raise up his fist in the face of God and say, Why, God, are all of these temptations around me? It is too much for me. We must remember that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. He is sovereign over it, but he is not the author or the creator of sin. And then third, what does it mean to love not the world? It means that we must, with a sincere heart, daily fight against worldliness. With a sincere heart, must fight against worldliness. James says in James 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The world, you understand, wants you to be spotted. It is the desire of the world that you become blemished. They want to put their mark on you, So that instead of bearing the mark of Jesus Christ, you bear the mark of the world. But the resolve of the Christian must be, I am going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I will do this even if it costs me. And so this, young man, must be the banner that flies over your head as you go out into the world. I am a man who loves God. May that become evident unto those who are around you, that you love God, that you love God more than what you love, the things and possessions of this earth. May it become evident that you love God above all else. May those whom you have contact with, may your classmates at school, your colleagues in the workplace, come to know that you love God. There's urgency, urgency to this commandment. And the urgency is that you cannot take the things of this world with you when you die. Verse 17, the first half. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. The world passes away, John says. He doesn't say it will pass away someday in the future. And so you can live your life however you want right now. But someday in the future, the world is going to pass away. No, he puts it in the present tense. The world passes away. It passes away as one season changes into another season. The world passes away even as we gather into God's house, Sabbath day after Sabbath day. The world passes away because this is God's decree for the world. God in his sovereign control has determined that the world must pass away. It's not that the world passes away because of man's doing. It's not that the world passes away because man has failed to be a good steward of this world. It's not that the world ultimately passes away because of climate change, but the world passes away 
Because this is God's will for the world. That's why there's urgency to this commandment. Love not the world. Urgent because who knows how long this world will last. It could be that soon, very soon, this earth passes away. That Jesus Christ returns on the clouds of glory, executes the great and final judgment, and the final kingdom, the final theodicy is established. Because this world passes away, God's command today is love not the world. But then there's more that we can say about the urgency of this command. The urgency is also this, that the love of this world is incompatible with love for God. The love of this world is incompatible with love for God. And that's the 15th verse, the second half. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What the text teaches is that these two loves are mutually exclusive. It's either or. It is either you love the world and all that is contained in the world... And you give yourself unto the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes. Or it is the case that you love the Father. You seek the Father and find satisfaction and happiness in the Father. Jesus described it this way in Matthew 6 verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. On this particular point, the world expresses its agreement with the teachings of Jesus. It's rare. But here is a point where the world agrees with Jesus. Jesus said that either you're going to love God or you're going to love the world. You cannot simultaneously do both. The world agrees. The world does not want you to love mostly God and a little bit of the world, but the world and the devil as he works through the world wants you entirely in the world. That's the objective of the world, to suck you, as it were, out of the church, to remove you from the hands of Jesus Christ, and to have all of your thinking be worldly thinking. The world would have your desires be governed by the world's standards. The world would have your dating and your marriage be done not according to the teachings of the Bible, 
but let your dating and the way you live in your marriage be done according to the teachings and the philosophies of the world. The world does not want you halting between two opinions at times, worshiping Jehovah God and at other times following the world, but the world wants you entirely in the camp of the world. Some technology companies, in a moment of honesty, will even admit this, that it is their goal to have you become consumed by this particular item so that you use it and use it and use it and don't ever want to put that particular item down. That's the urgency. You cannot have both. It is either you love, have the love of the Father in you or you have the love of the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The temptation always is to think that we can have the best of both. That we can tiptoe this line between loving the Father and simultaneously loving the world. We can have a little bit of a little bit of loving worldliness, a little bit of loving the sports of the world, a little bit of loving this TV show, a little bit of loving this form of entertainment, as long as I also have some love for God. It's okay if I love this sports team of the world, even on the Sabbath day watching some football, just so long as I show up to church on the Sabbath day as well. See, that's always the temptation to think that we can walk that line of simultaneously loving the world and loving the Father. But the unbending, the unyielding word of God is... If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a humbling and a convicting thought. It means that everywhere that we go there is Christian warfare, as we must fight against the love of the world. But consider, what do you have? if you do not have the love of God in you? What do you have? If you love the world, and according to the text, you do not have then the love of the Father in you, that means you do not have Christ in you. What is life without God? might be able to attain many earthly riches and comforts. You might be able to live a lifestyle that is envied by others upon this earth. But what do you have if you do not have Christ in your life? This is a difficult, difficult command then. Love not the world. 
one that you'll be engaged in every day for the rest of your life. And so God, to encourage us in fighting against this love for the world, gives unto us a promise, a twofold promise he gives us, found in verse 17. The promise in the first place is that the world passeth away and the lust thereof. And then secondly, the promise is, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world passes away and the lust thereof. That's God's promise unto us. That's, that's something that we as Christians may know with confidence. And so there's a warning in that, is there not? If the world passes away, then it means that those who love the world pass away. So the one who has cast his lot with the world, the one who is interested only in that which is here today, he will stumble in the darkness of sin and he will face the same end as the world. Remember Lot's wife. There's hope in those words as well, is there not? The world passeth away. And the hope is we're not always going to have to fight against the love of the world. For someday the world will pass away. There comes a day when we no longer are going to have to struggle against the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Someday, when God brings us into that final kingdom, the world will have finally passed away, and we can enjoy perfect peace and communion with God in his kingdom. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Not all will abide forever, but he that does the will of God will abide forever. One that does the will of God is the one that loves God. The one that seeks God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength. The will of God is that you love the neighbor as yourself. The will of God is that you would, without murmuring, renounce your own will and follow God's will, which only is good. You have confessed in this afternoon that you will lead a new and godly life. You have promised that you will submit to church government and even to church discipline. For those who have that Conviction and that testimony, may God give unto you this confidence that you will live forever. Live forever not because you have done the will of God, but you will live and abide forever because somebody else performed the will of God. The foundation of our confidence is the cornerstone which is Jesus Christ. Christ alone perfectly performed the will of God. 
he loved when nobody else loved him. He was faithful unto the Father when the unfaithful took him and hanged him upon that tree. He, like you and I, was tempted to love the world. The devil held out in front of him the temptation, Bow down, and I'll give unto you all the kingdoms of the world. But Jesus Christ fell not into temptation, but went the lonely, God-ordained way of redeeming his people through that accursed tree on Calvary. May God give us the confidence that on the basis of his finished work, we will live and abide forever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, who art in heaven, We thank thee that thou dost reveal thyself to us in the Holy Scriptures. We thank thee that in thy word we have direction for how we are to conduct ourselves upon this earth. Will thou strengthen our faith that whether young or old, we might live according to the faith which thou hast worked in our hearts. Will thou receive our worship Forgive the weakness of our faith. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.